we do want you to still have your eyes on the scriptures with us. And so if that's an app on your phone, your tablet, or if you have your own old school hard copy, that's awesome too. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want your eyes on there with me as we uh, look to the scriptures today. This is God's word. So I'm going to read it <clears throat> and then uh, ask God's help as we dive into to try to understand and apply it to our hearts. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read 1 through 4. <clears throat> Paul says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. Let's pray. God, we ask your help as we approach your word. Always we need it. Lord, our hearts are um, idle factories. We are constantly cranking out things to trust in, things to get our greatest satisfaction out of instead of you. And so we need your help, Lord. We need your spirit to guide, and we need uh, your word to convict and to do its work, to cut to the core, to separate our motives, our sin, our, and, and your spirit inside of us. Lord, would you come and do that work? Would you get me out of the way and, and use me for your glory this morning? May your word do what it has set out to accomplish and not return void in the hearts of your people, myself included. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive as we submit to your word this morning. We ask it in all in your name, Jesus. Thank you that it's a good name that we can trust. It's in that name we ask now. Amen. All right. Well, if, uh, if you're visiting, you need to verify with somebody else that comes here more often that we don't talk about money all the time because we're going to talk about the money today. Okay? And so I just need you to verify that. We've been moving through this book, right? We're at the end of this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and, and, and the Bible's bringing it up, not me. Okay? So you just need to know that. That's just a disclaimer. Because uh, here's the deal, they're actually asking. So this book, if you notice, we titled the series Issues because this is literally a pastor that planted this church that is now writing back to this church, answering many of their questions, okay? They have written him a letter, and actually that, this, this transition uh, phrase here, now concerning the collection for the saints, is, is indicating that Paul is, is moving on to address another issue that they have asked about in the letter that they wrote to Paul. So there's this exchange going on. Paul has planted this church at Corinth. He stayed there about a year and a half. He got them going, appointed leaders, and then he moved on to plant other churches. When he writes this letter, he's at Ephesus, planting the church at Ephesus, which we have a letter written to them later called Ephesians. And so it, you should read the book of Acts and try to piece all this together. It's really beautiful as you see the actual narrative events going on in the New Testament of these churches being established. But as Paul is hearing from them, he, he's getting their letters. He's going to answer their questions. He had a few issues of his own. He heard about some things, some things they didn't ask, didn't want to know, but he needed to straighten out as well. So this book, we've been in it for a year, and we've covered a multitude of things. And, and, and this is sort of wrapping up, but we need to make sure that we don't just, sometimes we get to that last chapter of a book or that last you know, few uh, paragraphs, and it sort of seems like he's just, it's kind of prologue and appendix-like, where Paul, he's just kind of throwing in a few more things. We want to make sure we don't. Uh, check out as we get into chapter 16. There is still some more for us here. And so today, Paul is moving to address this issue of this offering that he has asked this church to give previously. Okay, so it's a previously requested offering, one that he's, given, that he's uh, requested from not only this church, but uh, all of the churches in kind of the Gentile region of, of Asia as he's moved throughout. And it's a specific offering going back to the, the church in Jerusalem. Okay, and so if you know much about the history, the, the, you know, Jesus was crucified, you know, outside of Jerusalem and that whole event, and then he and his followers were there for the Passover, and that's sort of where the, the church began. We, we've been singing this song lately that says, and the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame, and I just love that, that imagery of when the church of Christ was born in Jerusalem, and then they're gathered in the upper room, and Pentecost happens, and he sends the spirit, and boom, the church just takes off into the 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 regions of the land of that day and into history and changes everything forever. And we are a part of that. That flame was, was lit all throughout until eventually you and I come to hear the gospel at a church or through a church or through a missionary or through a Christian 
in 2020. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing through his kingdom. And so that, that has all happened. And, and so Paul is, is addressing these people. And as he's moved through, <clears throat> as, as, he's, as he's coming to this issue, what it, what's happened, if you remember the... Um, in Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, after this beautiful, like, you know, showing of the Spirit, there's a movement where all the believers, we, we have this famous passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, where they're, they're, they're all gathered together, they sell all their possessions, they share all things in common, and they take care of one another. They're dedicating themselves every day to the, to the reading and the teaching of the apostles, and they're, they're doing church, they're doing life, they're doing community, and it's this beautiful thing. Well, after that, a few years after that, that church in Jerusalem fell upon hard times for a multitude of reasons. Um, there was some persecution going on there. There was some, there was some there were practical social things going on there, but they fell on hard times. And if you keep in mind, they had sold all that they had. And so there was this, there's this response in worship to God where they surrendered completely and said, God, it's all yours. Like, we want your king. Nothing else matters more than your kingdom going forward. And so they sold all that they had. And now they're in Need. And so Paul, as he's planting these other churches, is inviting these churches to partner in the support of that church back in Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot going on there that is really beautiful in kind of this knitting together. Because if you know, there was a tension between the Jewish people, right? These were God's people that he'd been dealing with for years. They were the Jews. They were the, the chosen people of God. Well, the gospel is sent to the Gentiles, and Paul is the primary missionary that, that begins that process. And so there's a tension, and there's many debates even in the book of Acts about, is it okay that Gentiles are like a part of the, the church now? Like, is, do they need to be circumcised? Like, how do we treat Gentiles? And there's, there's a lot of tension that goes on. There's a couple of councils that gather together. But part of God knitting that whole deal together is actually bringing those other churches in a place where they got to support the Jewish church or the Jewish Christian church, right, in Jerusalem. It's this beautiful picture of all that God was doing. And so this is the offering that Paul is talking about that he is planning to pick up when he comes back to Corinth in order to take or send somebody with to the church at Jerusalem. So this is what he's talking about. And they have some questions, okay? So this letter is written to real people at a real place in a real church, much like you and I. And they have questions about this offering, They've asked him, okay, so now what's, what's this again? Why are we giving to, Jer to Jerusalem? What, how much? What, what's this? Is this above and beyond our regular? They have questions, and that's what Paul is going to, to answer. And so today, uh, I, we, I realize that they are not alone in their questions. There has been many people who have had questions about why the church takes an offering every time they gather, right? Have you wondered that? Have you met somebody who wondered that? How many of you have invited somebody to church, and they have responded that they don't want to come because the church is all about money? Right, And so it's about how churches handle money. And sometimes those questions and those responses are legit because there's been churches who have grossly mishandled the use of the offering and God's money, right? And so that, that's a reality that we don't want to ignore. And, and if I'm being honest, we, I probably err on the opposite side. I just don't like to talk about it in general, right? Like I, I just don't want to. I get sickened and nauseated at at these reports of, of pastors and churches in beds like, like mishandling money, right? Pastors and preachers that are using the people of God and the proclamation of the gospel to benefit their own financial gain and they, they're living in, in means that are really unexplainable of, of you know, million dollar homes and mansions and things like that that, that I, I, I can't, I have just as much beef with as you, I promise, okay? And so I don't want to be caught in that. And so we just kind of, man, we, we just, we talk about the heart of teaching. Each week we talk about offering and we say something along the lines of, hey, God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And so he commands us to give. We say something like that every week, right? But we want to dive a bit deeper as the, the, the passage takes us there into, okay, what's going on behind that? What, why really does God need us to give? What's that about? And so I want to, I want to set the stage with some context about God's people and offerings, and then we're going to draw a few observations from this short passage itself, okay? And so when it comes to God's people and the church and receiving an offering and God commanding that, here's the first thing you need to know, and we hint at it every week, is that God doesn't need your money. If we can get Psalm 50 up there, 10 through 12, it, it, God says this, hey, listen, I, every beast of the forest is, is, is mine, right? Uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, that belongs to me. He says, I know all the birds of the hills and all the, 
All that moves in the field, it's, it's mine. Listen to this. God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because he's God. He's the creator of all things. We are finite man. He's not going to bring his needs to us. Right? That's a foolish thing to think about. For the world and its fullness are mine, God says. This is good news, church. This is, we don't serve a God who is, who is uh, you know, living paycheck to paycheck based on how much his people give, right? We don't serve a God who might starve if we stop giving. We don't serve a God who needs us to prop him up in some financial way. We serve a God who is the creator of all things, the owner of all things, and, and he doesn't need our stuff. And in fact, he doesn't want our stuff. What he wants is us. As you see, as you, as you, if you take an objective and honest look at, at, at the commands of God um, to give, and there's some resources for you to do some digger deeping, if you, or dig, deeper digging. Uh, if you want to, to explore this more, there's some resources on your digital bulletin I would encourage you to, to check out. Um, I always put a short one on, like an article, and I put a, a, a book on. So if you want to dive deep, there's a, there's a book. If you want to kind of take a 10-minute deeper dive, there's an article on there you can listen to or read it. And so I'd encourage you to check that out. But if you take an honest look at the process and, and the teachings of God and the, the narrative of, of God requiring gifts from his people, requiring an offering from his people, you'll see that it's never about the God trying to accumulate this wealth for himself, right? There's always this heart behind it that what God wants is his people and, and what he really wants is their heart. You see, in Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 21, that the reason that he talks so much about money, the reason that the Bible talks so much about money is because he knows this, that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right? And you know this to be true. No matter how much you think about it, or you know, maybe you don't reflect on it a ton, but you know this to be true, don't you? Right now, there's, 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 like we see that in response to all that's going on, in response to fear, in response to uncertainty, what we can drift toward is kind of building up security, right? Right? That it's played out kind of comically in people buying up all the toilet paper, right? Like, we're not sure what's going to happen. I want to make sure we got that, so let me buy up all that, right? And we, we play that out in, in, a, in a thousand different ways in our lives as we have fear, as we have uncertainty, as we reach for that security and that certainty, it plays out in making sure that we have resources, right? And so he knows that, that our heart will follow where our treasure is. And so he says, listen, I don't need your money. I got the cattle on a thousand hills, but what I want is your heart. Paul reflects this later in, in the, the second, well, the second letter that we have recorded, there's actually a couple more that we don't have that Paul wrote to Corinthian, the Corinthian church. But the, the book of 2 Corinthians is another letter that Paul wrote. He revisits this, this same issue of the same offering. Uh, in chapter 8 and 9, he goes into depth talking about how we should be a cheerful giver and what, what God expects as a, of us from giving. But in, in chapter 12, he says, he has this really beautiful um, line in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians where he says, Verse 14, he says, and when I, I will not be a burden when I come because I seek not what is yours, but you. And he, and he compares himself to children. He says, for children aren't obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And, and so Paul had a very particular uh, way that he did his ministry so that no churches could ever accuse him of, of being there to get his paycheck or being there to personally prosper. And so he says, listen, I'm longing to come, and when I come, I will not be a burden to you. Paul made tents, Paul hustled in every way that he could so that nobody could ever say he's benefiting from what he's preaching, right? He's, he's not benefiting financially from that. He lived a life of modest, if not impoverished, means and suffering oftentimes so that, not that all of us are called to that necessarily, but so that none of the churches could accuse him of that being his motivation. And so he says, I seek not what is yours, but you. Church, take a deep breath. It's good news. God is not after what you own. He's after you. God doesn't want your wealth. He wants your heart. Church, we just need to know that you just need to set in that. There's going to be plenty of things to deconstruct in our hearts to get to a place where we accept that and live out of that and respond rightly to that. 
But we have to start there, church. Amen? Our God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our money. But he wants, wants us. That's good news. This is not a transactional relationship that God has with us. Okay, I said earlier, your, your position, your standing before God is not dependent upon how well you did, did with some checklist. Well, it's also not dependent upon how much you gave or didn't give. But it does matter how much you gave and how much you don't give. and how, not, not in this same way that we would think it matters, but it matters because God wants our hearts. So that's the context that I want us to see it through. And then Proverbs 3, I think I, I, think I have that passage on there as well, where it, it talks about that we, we should be giving the first fruits of our um, produce, of what we bring in to God. We should honor the Lord with our wealth and the first fruits. We talked about the first fruits. We talked about the resurrection um, and sort of this is, this is not, what this means is it's not the leftovers we bring God, it's the, it's the very first thing. And it's this idea of it's this test of what is to come. We, we, we take the first fruits and that's going to be indicative of what the rest of the crop is going to bring. And so the first fruits is not just this tax that we, we take off the top. And okay, I've got my 10, now I can do what I want with the 90. But rather, actually, all that we have belongs to God. He's gifted to us. We are stewards of it. And, and we should actually be honoring God with all that we have. And the first fruits are what is sort of this indicator, this deposit, if you will, of where the rest of it is going to be channeled as well. Okay? What that means is, it, it, we don't just give God this 10% tax or whatever and then do what we want with the rest of it. Rather, we're going to honor God with all that we have, with all of our life, with all of our possessions, with all of our energy. But we, he wants this very clear indicator, this treasure deposit to make sure that our hearts stay aligned and that what, what we have keeps flowing toward him because that's what's best for us, right? It's what's most honoring to him, but it's what also what's best for us because nothing else will satisfy Everything else is vanity. Everything else, listen, our world is, is absolutely brilliant at creating desire in you for the next thing, aren't they? iPhone 12's out. How's it better? No idea. They put another camera on there. Do I need another camera lens? I don't know. I got a new iPad. It's got two of them. When I click the second one, I'm like, well, that looks worse. I don't know. What is that? iPhone 12, it's got three of them though. It's a really big deal. You should get it. Why? I don't know because they said so, right? But I'm, I'm oversimplifying. I get it. Somebody's going to email me. Well, actually, this is better. You know, I get it. I do. But, but I'm just saying, they're brilliant at it. They're brilliant at creating, thinking that what we have is not good enough. And if I don't get this, right, fill in the blank, it's Christmas season, right? How many, like, uh, Target sent out their catalog. Amazon sends a catalog now. We need legislation against this. I have five kids, and they're, like, circling. Hey, we want this. I'm like, I think it'd be easier if you just tell me what you don't want at this point. Right? Because you've circled like 90% of the catalog. I'm like, I, I, you're not getting all this. Like, I don't, we don't, can't afford it. We can't put it anywhere. Like, so our culture is brilliant at creating this in us, this dissatisfaction, this discontentment. So, but you know, you know that by the end of January, the buzz, the joy, has worn off of those possessions and those gifts, right? You know that, that it only lasts a minute. It's not lasting satisfaction. So our Father comes in love and says, hey, 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 I don't want that to be fleeting. I don't want that joy and that, that satisfaction, that, that posture of, of contentment to leave you. I don't want it to be fleeting for you. I want it to be anchored in something good, something consistent, something that doesn't go away. That's what's behind this whole command to put up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy you don't need to upgrade, where you won't need, where it won't go out of, of style or whatever. You won't grow out of it. Rather, you invest your treasure there. That's what's behind the command from our good father for us to give. So hopefully that provides just a little bit of context behind why God asked us to give. Now I want to look at, at this passage in particular and draw some observations about how we should give and, and what are the implications for us here on the ground today. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. So this is something he's put in place not just for the Corinthian church, but for all the other churches. They're supporting this church that doesn't have 
as much in the moment, right? In the moment, the Jerusalem church is suffering, so the rest of the churches are, are, are picking up that slack and caring for them in a financial and very practical way. This is in all, it, it, it's, it's above and beyond the, the, the regular offering for Corinth, right? Because they're already operating and paying their, their leaders and, and, you know, whatever bills they have. That, but this is an additional offering. And so Paul is talking about that. And the first thing, I actually want to start a bit backwards. I want to look at, at verses 3 and 4. And I want, to, I want to talk about how uh, you should actually care about how your church operates. There, there should be uh, public transparency and accountability about how the church handles its money. Okay, so I want to start there because I don't want to end there. But I want to sort of ease your mind and say that it's okay for you to have those questions. It's okay for, for you to want integrity with, with where you're giving your money. And, and Paul is very practical about that. In verse, and then we're going to go back to, okay, how do we give personally, individually? What is that? So let's look at verses 3 and 4 together and start there. And he says, so I want you to plan for this offering. We'll talk about that in a minute. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit. Okay? So he's saying, who you accredit by letter, so I don't want to just show up and be like, who wants to take the money to Jerusalem with me? Right? It's a bad deal. You're going to get somebody be like, I got that, right? And they're going to be pocketing some of the money. They're going to run off, right? There's plenty of opportunity for exploitation there. And he's like, we're not just going to do a volunteer basis. I want this to be somebody that the church has selected, that they put in writing, hey, this is our representative. We trust these individuals to be the couriers that carries this gift from Corinth to Jerusalem. So he says, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. He says, if it seems advisable that I should go as well, they will accompany me. So Paul says, when I get there, I don't know how long I'm going to stay. I don't know. I might be headed to Jerusalem immediately. If so, they can follow, they can come with me. If not, we'll send them, but this will be a collective decision. And so Paul talks a lot in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and 10, and it really, he, he ends up defending himself a lot in that, in that book. But part of that is that no charge could be brought against him for malpractice of the church's offering. And so that is, it is something that Paul explicitly says. There should be accountability. There should be transparency about how the church manages, handles what you give. Okay? Going to get an amen. Anybody get an amen? Anybody tired of churches misusing people's funds? Right? Okay, so what does that look like? here at the journey. Well, we don't have a ton of money because we're a new church. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but, but here's our policy. Like, no staff member handles money on their own. No staff member counts the money. Here's how we do it each week. Um, every bit of offering cash that you give, which is less and less nowadays, most of it goes online, which is tracked automatically and categorized. And what you gave you know, it's, it's tracked there. Nobody's able to kind of skim off there. It, what you gave goes into the, direct, the bank account, and if not, that'll show up, right? We're not, we're not able to sift off there without accountability. But then the physical gifts, that is counted each week, not by a staff member, okay? So it, that's counted by a, a pair of people who are not husband and wife, right, who are not from the same household. Two different members from two different households every week come and count the offering that you give. And they, and they need to be members of the church. We don't just ask anybody. They've gone through our membership process. We know them, right? They've been asked to do this because we trust them. Many of you have done this, right? And maybe you don't know why you're doing it. Maybe you don't know why you're doing it the way you is. Well, it, the way you do is because we want to have accountability. We want to have transparency. We want there to be a, a paper trail that, that is above reproach for our church. And so that's what we do. So non-staff members, Right? It'd be easy. Cindy's here. She could just take it and count it, but she doesn't. Right? It's not what we do. Why? Because we want there to be accountability. So two people get the stuff out of the offering boxes, take it back to the office, count it together, agree upon it, sign off on it. How much was given in check? How much was given in cash? That's a deposit is made then, or a, a, a deposit ticket is made then for the bank, and, and they sign off on that. So that, that bank deposit ticket that they make then needs to match what somebody takes and puts in the bank later in the week. And if not, there's a paper trail there. There's a question there. And, and so that is part of the reason that that happens. Um, and then beyond that, we have, um, I, I don't know who gives what. Okay? I don't have access to that. I don't allow myself access to that. I don't want to know how much you give. Okay? There are times whenever, as a leader, I might want to know who's on a regular giving list, right? Like who's our regular givers, but not the amounts, I don't want to know. I want to guard against partiality. James warns us against partiality and treating anybody differently. And I don't want, I don't trust my own heart with that. I just don't want that information. So I don't know how much you give. 
right? There's really only, I think Cindy's the only one who, who actually has access to that, right? That's, that's a small amount of, of, of people who have eyes for that. Our, other than our finance team can get access to that, and they're made up of, of volunteer people who don't earn any money from the church. And so these are, these are public accountability measures that we take here to make sure that there is transparency, there is integrity about the way that we operate. And and so, you know, as a member, you can come and ask any question you want about our finances, right? We, need, we probably need to do better about just regularly updating you all on that. But, but as a member, you can come anytime. I heard somebody tell a story the other day about the church they used to be involved in, and some of the men went and asked to see their books, and they'd said no. Huge red flag, okay? Like, huge red flag. Well, it turned out later there was, there was malpractice. There was, there was stuff going on there, right? And so we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. So there needs to be transparency about that. So remember, you can ask questions. We, we don't want to hide things from you, right? We want to be wise about what we disclose and how, but we, 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 want, to, we want to do that well. And, and, and we can do that better, right? We, we need to get better at getting that information in front of you. So we're, we're open to that and we're working on that. But, but that's just a little bit. So I just want you to know that's okay. Whatever church you're giving to, whatever organization you're giving to, it's okay for you to expect there to be integrity and for you to expect there to be some accountability about that. That's okay. Paul is setting that up very early on. It's not going to be a flippant process by which he invites this offering and then just, okay, thanks, guys, and he goes on down the road with a, pot, with a bag full of money. That's not how he rolls. Okay? He's concerned about that, and you should be as well. All right? So that's sort of, I just want to just want to get that out of the way. Now, how do we give? What does he expect of us? What's expected here? Should we tithe? How often? Gross? Net? There's all sorts of questions. We hear them a lot. Maybe you've thought of them. Maybe you've been taught certain things. We're going to draw a few more um, observations from the passage here. Here's the first thing about, for us, how we should give is it should be planned, okay? It should be planned. It should not be flippant. It should not be under compulsion and just random. Oh, how much did I bring today? How much can it should be something we plan, we budget, we set aside. We see that here as he says in verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. There is intentionality about that. Our giving should be planned. This is, we make a plan for when we are going to give and how much we are going to to give, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but there needs to be a plan, right? It's not just, okay, what, oh, you know, I forgot the checkbook today, or oh, I, you know, I don't know how much we got, I'll have to think about it later. There should be a plan. It should be planned. The second thing we see is it should be disciplined. Paul says, put it aside and store it up, okay? So how many of you have been guilty of sort of making a plan, I'll give this much, right? I, that much will be my tithe, but you don't give it right away. And so then you, you realize, oh man, I spent more this month and I actually don't have that much to give. And, and so, you know, what I expected went from this number down to this number because I wasn't disciplined. Anybody struggle with something like that in their past? Paul says there needs to be discipline about this. You should put it aside and store it up, right? So this is a non, this is, we, don't, we don't touch this account. It's not something we tap into if needed, you know, or it's not something we'll give it if it's there. It is, it's planned, it's intentional, it's our first fruits, it's, it's disciplined. We give it to God, not as leftovers, right? Not what's left, but an intentional Here's my offering, Lord. Here's what I, I want to make my first fruits, my devotion to you, so that my heart will follow in flow. Because he, it, Paul says, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Right? If you're like me, I, I could procrastinate things, right? Like I don't I don't get real motivated until there's a real like hard deadline. And so Paul's talking about this, this offering that is needed, that's essential for the church of Jerusalem, for the kingdom of God to keep going and, and to advance and for God's people to be cared for. He says, I'm going to come one of these days, and I don't want in that moment to just take up a love offering of whatever y'all got left. Right? I, I don't want this just to be, a, oh, yeah, oh, man, I forgot to bring my money. Here's all I got. You know, if, if I would have known, I would have. No, no. He says there needs to be a plan here. Right, so that there will be no collection when I come. So what Paul's saying is, I'm going to get there, and I'm thinking about it when I get there. I want you to think about it now and regularly make provisions and make a plan for it, which is the next point. It should be regular. Well, that's sort of like planned. Well, sort of, yes, but I think there's an intentionality there too. It says, on the first day of the week. Now, there's, there's something actually in interesting there. This is one of the first and earliest references to the church beginning to worship on Sunday. Okay, because the Jewish people previously, Saturday was the Sabbath, right? It shifted to Sunday. Why? Because of what we just talked about in the last chapter. 
resurrection, right? That was the day Jesus got up out of the grave. So they begin to shift their, 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 their corporate worship gathering to Sunday. And so there's a reference to that. But, but I think the, the regular part of that is, is that presumably this is a part of the worship for God's people. This is a part of their worship service, a part of their gathering, that when they, when they come to worship, when they make a plan for that day, part of honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy is that we're going we're gonna to direct our posture toward the Lord that day. And part of that is, okay, we're going to give. Well, I think there needs to be a regular, a regular rhythm to that giving. There are some people who prefer to give annually. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong or, or sinful about that, but I think what you're missing out on, what I think the Bible will instruct you, is there need to be a more regular pattern because it's not just about making sure you get your dollar amount in. Again, God doesn't need your money. We well, want your heart. If he wants your heart, he wants you to be regularly, actively giving that that you should feel it, that you should do it, that there, there should be an active participation of the Lord gave me this and trusted me with this. I'm going to worship him by giving it back. Right? So there should be a regular posture to that. So as you're planning, as you are being disciplined, there needs to be a regular, there needs to be something that you, that, that brings you back to that. If you just kind of set it and then let it go, I, you might be missing out on some of that. And listen, that's a danger with today's world. I've been given electronically for years now. I set up a, a bank draft to come out right after I get paid. This amount comes out. I don't have time to plan it. For, it's just budgeted amount. This, my paycheck comes in. Two days later, this amount comes out, and I just plan for that each, each month. I don't think about it. Each year, annually, kind of review, maybe up it, down, you know, based on ink, but, which we'll get to in just a moment, like the how much part. But the regular part, if I'm not careful, it can just be a formality that I set and then forget. And I think I'm missing out if I do that, right? That, that there needs to be something where we, uh, that we come back to as a family. We remember, not that we tout it online or tell everybody, oh, hey, I gave this much for this. You know, it's, it's not about that, but it's about a regular conditioning of our heart where we remember this offering to the Lord. So I think it needs to be regular, right? That can be, for me, it's monthly. It could be quarterly. It could be, I think you could potentially do it well annually, but I'm just afraid you might miss out on, and so, you know, maybe you put it in an account and then, you know, it gathers interest and then you give it. But there still needs to be, I'm giving this to the Lord and there's to be a regular posture about that. I think the best way to do it is as you get paid, right? Wherever your paycheck is, you need to like this pot. Okay, I get paid this time. This amount's going in, right? So that's monthly, bi-weekly, weekly, whatever it is where you're making a provision. As Paul says, it's planned, it's disciplined, it's regular where we are giving to the Lord. Because again, he's not after what we have, but what we but who we are. He's after our hearts. Not after what is yours, but you yourself. That's the idea. We don't need to get away from that. We need to make sure that that stays near to us. And then lastly, I think we should give generously. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is going to talk about joyfully and cheerfully. And, there's, and I'm just trying to stay with what this passage says, but I think generously. So the, the question often is how much Right? Do I, the Old Testament talked about a tithe. The New Testament doesn't say. So do I do 10%? If it's 10%, is it 10% of gross or net? Or, or you know, after I pay this bill or I pay that bill? Like we, we, there's a lot of people that get caught up in these details and these weeds of how much. Well, the New Testament is actually strangely kind of silent on the, the percentage and the, 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 the details there. Okay? But I, I think oftentimes we use that as sort of like, well, what do I have to give? And we sort of use that as this grace of, well, there's not this minimum number that, you know, there's grace there. If you can't give 10%, then whatever. And we sort of use it as a dismissal not to worry about it too much. But I think the, the reason that there's not a specific number in the New Testament is actually kind of the opposite. It's that we've been transformed so dramatically as the people of God. You see, the Old Testament people of God were not fundamentally a missionary people. Right? It was a part of who they were. They were to be a witness to the nations, but that was sort of secondary in that, that time period. And now they've, we've been transformed to a fundamentally missionary people, meaning Jesus has been resurrected. Salvation is available to all people, and we've been told to take the kingdom to all people. And so this changes everything about who we are and how we should be posturing our finances. We no longer build big, beautiful temples. We're in a pole barn, Right? We, and, and so, that, why? Because, well, we, we, we aim our resources at a different objective, which is to advance the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, this is a church planning deal. We planted this church. You guys have been blessed in this season. That church is under suffering, so we're going to give here. And so, there's this, 
um, change in identity personally because we've been uh, right buried with Christ. We've died to our old self, and we've been raised with Christ to walk in a newness of life, empowered by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Right? Increasingly, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And so I think in the New Testament, it's not because, well, I give 10 or whatever. I think it's like there's a totally different posture and a totally different um, aim that we have where it's not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? Or as John Piper put it, how much dare I keep? How much dare I keep? Because as we said, it's actually all his, right? He, he gives it to us as stewards. We own it, but we give it back in worship. And so what, what, what Piper would claim, and others have, have drawn this conclusion as well, is it's not about that percentage because, man, it should be as he, is, as he prospers, as he gives here. So it's this, you know, we see a flexible scale in the New Testament. We see in the New Testament there's a, there's a widow, right, who gives two small coins that equal a penny, but it's all she's got. And Jesus says, hey, that woman, she gave more than everybody else in line. Right? Well, then we see Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus gets saved. Zacchaeus has been robbing people forever. He's wealthy beyond everybody else's means. Well, what does he do? He gives 50% of what he owns back. So it's well beyond 10. He gives half of what he has back. We see in the New Testament, people are selling off what they have. We see one man who sells a single field. It's not everything, but it's a single field. Jesus tells the rich young ruler to go sell everything that he has, right? And so it's not about this set percentage for everybody. It's about, hey, as you prosper, as, as God gives you wealth, you give in proportion to what he's given you. And, and listen, and, and it, we live, like, here's the deal. We have this idea of who's wealthy and who's prospered in our culture, right? And it's indicated by this size of house or this type of vehicle or, or whatever, right? It changes based off of here in Marion, right? If you go to other areas, other regions, if you go from Lake of Egypt to Lake of the Ozarks, there's a different scale of who has prospered there, isn't there? There's a different look to the homes and to the boats and all those sorts of things. So it scales culturally. Listen, here's what we need to know. As Americans, we've all prospered, okay? We are the wealthiest people collectively, to have ever walked this earth. It is, it is unbelievable to think about the thousands of people that literally starve to death daily around the world, right? And I didn't come ready with those statistics, but you can look them up. The, people who, the amount of people who live on less than a dollar a day throughout the world is staggering. So here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. We've all prospered, period. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you make 25 grand a year or 225 grand a year. We've all prospered in the grand scheme of the world, and of history. So we should be a generous people probably well beyond 10%. Because if it's just that bare minimum, then we might be robbing God there. Because I don't think it is about that percentage, right? It's about our heart. It's about what, how, as he's prospered us. And so here's, let me, let, me, let me quote somebody else so it's not just me getting in trouble. Let me, let me quote C.S. Lewis here. So C.S. Lewis says this. He said, I don't believe we can actually settle on how much to give. He says, I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, then we are probably giving away too little. If our charities or our giving do not at all pinch or hamper us, then I shall say, or should say, that they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Hey, you see what, he, you see what he's getting at there? It's not about this number. Okay, I've met that. I've given my 10%. Now I'm free to do whatever I want with the rest. God says, no, no, no. Let's, let's talk about all of your life. Let's look at you holistically. Are you giving me all that you are? And if so, what, what about this part of it? How, how does that reflect that? How, are you channeling your resources and your, your, your treasure to flow, your heart to flow after your treasure by giving a, a proportionate amount to how you prospered? And so what C.S. Lewis says is, listen, if, if, if you're in the same, 
you know, your lifestyle looks the same as other people who are in the same class as you, then you might need to, like, have you really sacrificed for the Lord? Have you given appropriately? Because Jesus, here's the deal, it's all because we, we don't give to get anything from the Lord. We give as a response to what he has given us already, right? And Philippians chapter two has this beautiful picture that he left the riches of heaven. He left all that he had. He didn't consider equality with God something to be clung to, but rather he let go and he came and he gave it all for our sake. So if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're wondering about this whole money thing, again, God doesn't need your money. He wants you. And he put his money where his mouth is when he went to the cross. Amen? Like he doesn't just ask this of us and and sit back and enjoy. Like no, no, he gave all that he was, all that he had, he gave freely out of love so that you and I could be saved. And so we give in in response a a proportion and appropriate to that from the widow to Zacchaeus to the man with the field to the rich young ruler. Jesus is, is coming after your heart. He wants to have a conversation with you. Right? So what does that look like? I, again, it's not about that percentage. What, personally, what I felt convicted to do is to give 10% of gross to the church and then give another percentage or two to someone else. Okay, so I give to Restore Network and I give to a missionary that I know local, that I know what he does, trust what he does, and love what he does. So we give those two ways above and beyond the, the, the church. So that, that's what he's led me to do at this time. It might change. It might, so you need to have a conversation. What, is he, what has he led you to do? Okay, and, and listen, here's the other deal. We're going to get to our response in just a moment, but some of you are so far in debt that you can't do any of this. That's a sin issue that you need to repent of, that you need to receive help with. Here's the deal. If you think about this dynamic with the Jerusalem church and the other churches supporting them, there's some humility there, isn't there? How do you think the Jerusalem Christians feel? There's some commentators and theologians who have pointed back to that Acts 2 instance when they, gave a, when they sold everything they had and gave it all to God, and then now they look at this and they're in need from other churches and they go, see, that was a mistake. They shouldn't have sold everything they had. And you could kind of track with them a little bit, right? Well, maybe that wasn't wise because if they hadn't sold all their businesses and all their money, maybe they wouldn't be in need and these other churches wouldn't have to give them the stuff. But here's the deal. It's not about that. That's our mindset of our worldview, how we look at things. Because what God, again, it's not about their money. It's not about, the, it's, it's, it's God capturing the hearts of his people collectively. That he had a plan to knit the Gentiles and the Jews together by, by allowing them to partner with one another and care for one another and support one another. That there's a beauty when the church says, hey, you don't have and I do, I will give it freely. Everybody gets all triggered. I've had people email me as we've talked about the Acts 2 text. And they're like, that sounds a lot like socialism. You better be, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. That's because you're triggered thinking about your own worldview and stuff. Just read the Bible, right? You let the Bible inform your worldview about politics and other things. And when you read the Bible, you see that it is a good thing when God's people care for other of God's people. That it leads them to worship God even more, right? Nobody that's gotten money from the government has ever been led to love God because of that money from the government, right? That is not, we, we get all triggered. We think, well, he must be talking about this. No, no, I'm, talk, I'm talking about what the government does. I'm talking about what we do, what the church does. What has God asked us to do? And when we, as God's people, say, listen, you're without, and God's blessed me here. Let me bless you. Something beautiful and supernatural stirs in that. I've heard stories of people having high medical bills because of some terrible tragedy they went through and and they finally had the nerve to tell their church or tell their community group and the community group pulled their funds together and helped them pay for that and somebody got saved as a part of that testimony. Right? That's the kind of stuff that God wants to do with our money. He wants to get our hearts and he wants to get other people's hearts. We should be a people of generosity who loosen our hands to all that we have here in our possessions They belong to you, Lord. It's not how much do I got to give so I can keep the rest. We're not just begrudgingly in compulsion. Okay, here, here. All right, cool, I got this. I can go do this. No, no, it's a a full surrender. Jesus said, hey, you want to save your life? Lose it. Give it up. And he who loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. But he who seeks to save it, 
we'll end up losing it. Like sand slipping through our fingertips. We can't hold on to it. it we, can't, we can't take it with us. We all say that, right? That's the good news of the gospel, church. So, Let's, let's end with a couple of, of opportunities for reflection. I just want you to think about now, what has God called you to do as individuals, right? There are a couple of questions for reflection, Jack, the, the last slide there. And I want you to think about, okay, what is my financial report? I put it that way because if I say budget, some of y'all are like, I don't have a budget, right? And you're like, I don't, it wouldn't say anything because it ain't there, right? Um, what would your financial report say about your relationship with God? I want you to think about that, Okay. If somebody were to just objectively take a glance at your finances, what would they glean from that? How much you value God? How, do you, do you, are you trusting God? Is there sacrifice in that giving? Is there true worship in the response proportionately to Jesus? Get, like, just think about that. Just be honest. I'm not coming with this percentage and, well, I, I think you make, no, no, no. It's just you and the Lord have a conversation. And then what is God inviting me to do with my finances today? Okay, another way to ask that would be, hey, how, what does repentance look like for me today? For some of you, you are, you're in, you're in such debt and you're living, pay, like, that you need to start saving, you need to get out of that so that you can be generous, right? That, that's your first step is, okay, how do I get, and we would love to help you with that. And there need, what I was saying earlier about the Jerusalem church is they had to be humble enough to say, hey, we're in need. That's hard. That's hard sometimes to say, man, I have a need, Right? Because we in America, not only do we value extravagant lifestyles, but we also value our pride, and we don't want to tell anybody when we're struggling. Right? Listen, part of the beauty of being a part of God's family is we can come and say, hey, this year has kicked my tail. We're behind. Okay. I'm not going to tell that to the whole church. I'm going to bring you up front and bless your heart. Let's take an offering. That's why we have community, though. Those people are committed to love you unconditionally walk with you. So part of your repentance might need to be to speak up and say, hey, not only I might need some help right now, I also need some counsel. I need somebody to hold me accountable, help me write a budget. I want to get to where I'm generous with the Lord, with my money, but I, I need to do some work to get there. For some of you, that's, your, that's your, where you start today, is repenting of overspending and being irresponsible with what God has entrusted you with. Others of you, God might be inviting you to give above and beyond what you already are. You might be at that 10% and he might be like, hey, you, let's, let's do some more. Like, I don't know, that's, that's between you and him. Others of you, it's to start giving or to get to that 10%. That's a good goal, I think, right? To start there, it's like, okay, how, what do I need to do to get there? What can I give now to, to work my way through there? So I'm gonna give you a few minutes to just reflect on that. And be active, like I want you to think about, okay, what was God inviting me to do today? And this is, like, I have, I have no hidden agenda. Like, there's no, like, oh, hey, and now we need, no, no. Y'all have been really generous through pandemic. I'm, we're, church is doing okay. Like, it's good. Like, I, think, I appreciate that. There's, no, there's not that. It's between you and the Lord. It's the word of God having his bearing on you and your heart and your household. So let's reflect for a moment. And then we'll, uh. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about just response time and singing a final song. The altar's already open. We'll kind of talk about that being open for other things, but the altar's already open. Let's just reflect on these two questions. We'll leave them up, Jack, if you don't care. And, uh, and folks, just you do, you do some talking to the Lord and, and let him lead you.
James warns us against just hearing the word and then walking away and not doing it. So it's like getting a look in the mirror and then just walking away and forgetting what we've, what we've looked at. So my hope is that we'll make some commitments beyond this time to actively repent and pursue the Lord with our finances. So you might need to speak up and, and say, hey, I need some help with that. So that can be a part of this prayer time is, is, is coming and saying, hey, I need help with that. We'll love to, I'll set you up. I'm not the expert, but we know people who are really good at it. We'll set you up. respond now with a final song and I don't want this I don't want our response time to just be about money I don't want I don't want ever like we try to broaden our response time to not just be about what I preach about and you know if somebody's getting sick like we believe that regularly God just wants to us to bring our burdens to him and that we're, we're told in scriptures to pray for one another to lay hands on one another to encourage one another to give words of exhortation and encouragement to one another and so this final song it's not just to sit and sing, it's to respond. So the altar's open. You want to pray by yourself? Come pray by yourself. You want to pray with somebody? A prayer team, when, we, when I say amen in just a second, I want you to come. They're here to pray for you. I know them, trust them, and we've trained them. So elders and prayer team, we want you guys to come forward, and, and we're going we're to sing a final song. This is an opportunity to come and receive prayer. Maybe it is about money. Maybe it's about your, you know, somebody who's suffering in your family. I know there's been a lot of loss this week. Maybe it's just you have a burdened heart. It doesn't matter. There's no qualifiers for what's okay to bring to the Lord at the altar time, right? That's what we want to do away with. He wants you, remember? He wants you. So bring you. And let's, let's pray for one another. Let's share this time of ministry. God, would you give us your spirit and your grace to respond appropriately? cut through all of our pride, all of our fears, and whatever else is between you and us. Would you split that wide open and would like, we just see you crucified, exalted, and waiting for us to come and receive. Help us, Jesus. We need that. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Prayer team, come on up. Anybody who would like to receive prayer, come on up as we sing this final song, this opportunity.